It was good. This is Magnetic the Shaman. You're now listening to Cabbages, the best hip hop podcast in the world, baby. I'm so excited to introduce our guest for today's show. Joining us now is Kathy Anderley. She's a veteran music journalist and author of books including God Save the Queens and the forthcoming Lil' Kim memoir, The Queen Bee. Her latest is a comprehensive new biography entitled Baby Girl, better known as Leah, available wherever books are sold. Also joining us is Magnetic the Shaman. The Philadelphia-based rapper first came to my attention with the 2020 album Black Recluse. His latest EP, Three Treasures, features previous Cabbage's podcast guests, Brain Orchestra and Tanya Morgan. It's available on Bandcamp and wherever music is streamed or sold. Hello and welcome to you both. Hello, hello. Hello. We've been talking about stoner comedies pretty much relentlessly for the past uh, few months. And we wanted to do something a little more Halloween appropriate, uh, which also comes upon our one year anniversary as a podcast. So we figured uh, we could talk about something spooky. And given, Kathy, that you've, uh, you've just recently published your Emil biography, I thought uh, Queen of the Damned might be a good idea. And I was wrong. You were wrong, Kathy. (laughs) You were absolutely wrong. I would just like to admit that I was wrong. It takes a a huge podcast host to admit wrongdoing. It does. (laughs) I made a mistake. I, I first saw this in the theaters in 2002. I also was at that time DJing at a goth industrial club in New York City on Saturday nights. And so I didn't really, um, not a lot of this phased me. I recognized like the style that people were wearing in this film. I was around plenty of people who wore fangs like it was nothing. It just wasn't a big deal to me in the way that it is now as a grown adult watching uh, this film for the podcast. Um, Had anyone seen this before? Kathy, I'm sure you had at some stage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was there the night it released. It was a couple days before my birthday in 2002. So um, that was my early birthday gift to myself. (laughs) Yeah. You should treat yourself better, Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was your early birthday. I hope yeah. that I hope that from oh. here on out, from there on, your birthdays were a lot better than what just happened. I mean, yeah, up for debate, but yeah, um, <laughs> I obviously I only went for Alia. Sure. And mm-hmm. I felt cheated that she didn't come in until like the last inning, right? Like, and I was just like, wait a minute, what, what? I've got to sit through this. So that was my initial reaction. And then over the years, I found myself fast forwarding through the entire film and getting to the Alia parts. So technically today, before we spoke, was the first time I watched the entire film again since the theater without fast forwarding to Alia's part. And Magnetic Shaman. Had you any experience with this film beforehand? Um, not at all. And um, I wish I didn't have any experience. I, really I, any more experience with it than I uh, than I have now. 
Jeff, I know you were new to this, uh, to the vampire saga as well. So I really don't like Victorian era vampire everybody speaks British for no reason films. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I went into this thinking like, I'm probably not going to like this, but there's no way that it can be so bad that I'm going to be yelling at Gary when he's not in the room. Uh, but here we are. And I did. I yelled at you, Gary, while you weren't in the room. <laughs> I was yelling, why are you doing this to me? I yelled a lot at this film. Yo, that's so funny. That's exactly what I did. In my head, <laughs> I'm like, yo, what? What did what did I get myself into? Oh man, that's excellent. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was I was legit upset. I don't get upset at oh, films. I either. watch a lot of bad things, Same. but like not bad in that like they take themselves so seriously. You could tell this oh, wanted to be a movie. So badly it wanted to be a movie. There's a lot at fault in this film. And I will take, uh, again, responsibility for subjecting you guys to this, but that is the risk with this podcast. We do tend That's to true. watch some pretty bad things, but the level of which... Some. Um, <laughs> this was we among... a whole series on the Leprechaun. I've listened to almost every episode of this podcast. The only ones I haven't listened to are the Leprechaun ones because... I haven't seen all the Leprechaun movies and I actually wanted to watch them before, but I've listened to every other. Um, I don't know why I expected <laughs> any more because I'm like, oh, God, God forbid we watch a good movie, right? So, you know, I guess I shouldn't expect it. And to be clear, with Kathy, I propose this as an idea, but with you, sir, I gave you a choice. You could either watch a you stoner did. movie with us you or you could watch a vampire movie and you jumped at vampire I did jump in vampire movies because I've only watched three vampire movies and I thought it was going to be one of them. <laughs> now you've seen this one as well. Um, I think it's yeah. worth pointing out again that like this film for, for all its mistakes in, in existing comes, it does come from a place of somewhat good intentions. The, the first of the Anne Rice books made into novel interview with the vampire was a huge success you had you know tom cruise and lestat uh, you had this fantastic cast and it did really well but this what as things happen in hollywood uh movies start to go in a direction and when you lose principal cast members and you also have uh an author who is uh, displeased even with the success of the original one uh, you eventually end up with something like this. And if you've I, ever read like four sentences of Anne Rice, then you know that Anne Rice is just generally displeased. Uh, just a generally displeasurable person. Had had anyone read any Anne Rice before this other than Jeff, who I'm sure you were reading all the really smutty ones. Yeah, Jeff? Uh, <clears throat> uh, no. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we I can't tell you what or why I have done this, but I worked in a lot of bookstores and there were a number of authors that we would read in the back after closing in poetry voice. Mm. And Anne Rice was one of them. Uh, so, you know, I know the general language, but no, I've never read an Anne Rice novel cover to cover. Obviously, other than Aaliyah's uh, involvement in this film, I think mostly people would rather forget it, it was ever made. But of course, this podcast is about bringing things uh, 
bringing things to life that should stay dead, which is very much appropriate for this film. Um, <laughs> now, I will tell you, I'm going to start off from a place of positivity because I realize we're going to, we can get very negative and I'm sure we will. But I loved that what woke Lestat from hundreds of years of vampiric slumber was new metal. I was knew new it. metal. I knew it. It was corn. <laughs> the singer of corn rose, rose him back to dead from the dead. I, I thought that was exceptional. I was going to make I thought that was hilarious. Too. Oh, God. It, uh, that was a miserable it, soundtrack. When you think about like how they frame this, it's not just the soundtrack. It's the thing that moves the plot along. Music is what stirs the souls of these vampires. And I think vampires have really shitty taste in music. Seems I think because like it. it's not even corn, it's Jonathan Davis solo music, right? Yep, like he's trying out his thing. And when he eventually did his own solo album, I don't remember how many years later, it was the same sort of style, the sort of gothic rock approach that was very painful and on the nose. Um, but I really quite enjoyed that at that moment before I knew how bad this film was going to get that I thought maybe we were getting a, a comedy here. I thought we were actually going to get something funny out of it. You know, they were playing up the fact that this music that was popular and absurd was what would drive a vampire. The thing was, it, when the movie began, it seemed like everyone was in on the joke. And then gradually, they started to want to take it seriously. And that's where I was like, oh, wait, so... So we're, we're doing serious. Oh, all right. Because the, when it begins, like, I can't. That's so funny. I can't imagine that, like, Lestat, like, like I can't imagine anyone with just, like, you know, a poker face saying, like, Lestat um, woke up to the sweet, sweet sounds of Jonathan Davis. And he <laughs> woke up and said, wait a minute. This reminds me of my metal violin days. What? Like you know, finally, like, after centuries of laying around where people like played instruments and orchestras and battle cries and all the music that exists in the world, he heard like, and was like, yes, That's yes, one. finally, I get to lead an day. army of morons into, I, I don't know what he was leading them into, into a battle they didn't fight, by the way. But think about this. Anytime there was music in the background that wasn't like a song that you would have heard already, you could guarantee that it was a song made by either Jonathan Davis, which was most of it. Yeah. But there was one with Wayne Static of Static X. Oh, sure. Yeah. David Draymond of Disturbed. Mm -hmm. Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. Marilyn Manson's in there. One of the dudes from Orgy, I think. And like, there's tons of songs, but none of them are by those bands. They're all by just the lead singers of those bands. Then, for no reason whatsoever, a ton of other bands are included with their like full, like all of their members. So, like, you get a full Deftones, but you don't get Corn. You only get members of Corn performing songs by Jonathan Davis. And there's a reason for that is that Jonathan Davis's record label would not allow him basically to be on the actual CD soundtrack of this movie. And so those other singers were basically his surrogates. Yeah, so they the performed his songs for Correct. him. Yes. Oh, Christ mm -hmm. in heaven. 
It just keep like every mm. time you go down a rabbit hole, the ending of that rabbit hole is this is stupid. Why did you do this? Uh-huh. <laughs> I think we the could probably I think we could spend exactly. I think we could spend a lot of time poking at the soundtrack, but it's it's the movie's fault. You know, oh, let's totally. and I, I and like I, I looked back, you know, the, the screenwriters and the director, none of whom had done much of note prior to this. I really should point that out. And didn't do a ton that's all that great afterwards. Uh, The screen, the co-screenwriter, Scott Abbott, who has very few screenwriting credits after this, and rightly so. Uh, And then the other one is Michael Petroni. And Michael (laughs) Petroni, uh, his best known work is he co-wrote one of the Chronicles of Narnia movies. And he was was the showrunner creator, I don't think anyone's going to remember this, for a 2003 show called Miracles, starring Skeet Ulrich. I told no, him I don't know what that is. The quote is, huh? Paul, Skeet Ulrich, investigates modern miracles for the Catholic Church mm-hmm. as he witnesses a true mm. supernatural miracle, only for his findings to be dismissed. Paul leaves behind the church and is approached to join a shadowy organization. We don't know what the organization is. I don't. I never saw the show. I just Nobody the saw the show. It got canceled after like half a season. But this is the level of of creative that we are dealing with here. One day we're going to come into one of these podcasts and we're going to we're going to look at a movie and we're actually going to read what the people who made the movie went on to do and not watch one of these movies. We're going to look today is not one of those days, but one of these days is going to happen. I believe in us. Can you help us understand why Aaliyah chose to do this movie? Well, there were a few reasons that um, kind of played into her decision. You know, following the, the Romeo Must Die role, her uh, character in that movie, Trish O'Day, she felt was too close to her as a person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, and wanted, wanted to experiment. And the thing was, it made sense on paper, right? There's something really awesome. If, if, if I were looking at a piece of paper and, and I'm, I'm trying to decide this role and, and being told that I'm going to play Akasha, the, the first vampire, right, in existence, yeah. the, what they call her, the great mother, like the, the first, the one. Yeah. There's something really awesome about that. And there's something Not to mention very... this is the first time they had a queen of Egypt that was a person of color. Like maybe yes. in one of the movie history. Yeah. They never made exactly queen a black woman never a hundred percent and so there were layers to why this was such an awesome role for her to take on in addition the next album alia was going to be working on was a rock album so Mm. she was um she was going to be working with trent reznor and ironically wanted to work with jonathan davis so and she had just wrapped doing um well no she was not wrapped up honestly but she was involved with the matrix reloaded she had done a couple scenes and then she was going to be in this one that's coming out now matrix uh, revolution Mm -hmm. so she was supposed to she was already booked and busy for these roles so it would have fit this entire narrative right like this the, the next iteration of her career this is perfect um this particular role is perfect on paper um so that's essentially why she took it on. She, and, and the other thing is, 
a lot of people don't know this, that Aliyah had the, a fascination with Egypt. Mm. You know, she had considered going back to college and majoring in Egyptology. And actually, a month before her death, she had spoken to um, a, a newspaper out in Europe about having these dreams <clears throat> of being in Egypt and flying for someone who was so guarded and mysterious, especially in her interviews. She was really open about this whole um, this whole dream sequence that she kept having, and then she started to talk about her life and like reflecting. And it was, you know, m- many people read that um, interview now, translated, and, and feel that she had a premonition about her her own death. But the the whole thing about Akasha and and you know being part of Egypt and her having a fascination with Egypt, going into rock music. It, it, it's it. Like this, this, this made so much sense. And I think that's why everyone was so excited when she was going to take that role. I mean, even the costuming, I, like, I'll say this, she looks incredible throughout the entire movie. And that scene where she walks into the club, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, I would just watch that on loop and I would be fine. You mean the for... one that was like 75 minutes into the film and was the first time we got to see a non-stone yep. version of Aaliyah? Mm-hmm. And that's, <laughs> Just want to make sure we're on the yeah. same page. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, 50, uh, it's 51 uh, minutes, Jeff. It's 51 minutes. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I must have exaggerated a touch. Literally nearly the ha- like the halfway mark of the movie. It's like, what, the movie's like an hour and 40-something minutes, so like right there. Psych. That was a big psych. Yeah, I mean, that scene when she walks in, it's like holy shit! Like this, and 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 I and I, you know, after waiting so long for her, when she got into the when she walked into the club, uh, everyone started cheering at that moment. No, and sure, I think the theater, like yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, everyone had hope that it's like okay, now this is going to be good. But nope. the problem is, <laughs> Aliyah's scenes were well. Aliyah's scenes were great, mm-hmm. but it was the 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 decorations around them like i had so, i don't know okay oh, sorry keep going you have a lot to say about this <laughs> film it's fine i understand like yeah. it's befuddling here's two ways you ruin a film with a red hot mm-hmm. rising superstar in two different industries you don't involve them as much as possible in either part of that she's not on the soundtrack she's barely in the movie mhm like those are the only two ways you can screw this up is like don't give her a song to perform and then don't let her perform they they made this stuart townsend's movie for for no reason it did not need to be his film they leaned so heavily on this idea of people being vested in the character of lestat from interview with the vampire again played by tom cruise entirely different actor an entirely different profile and they were mm-hmm. like we just need to make this and this is also them trying to kind of mash together two different books of source material there was the book the vampire lestat and the Dude, book it should have been sooner they were basically trying to make it, it to one it movie. really it one of the things have that been mm-hmm. was furious about so you've Before. already got them trying to kind of muddle all this together but i mean how much of the talamasca did we need how much did we need of the romantic subplot involving jesse like if None. you had excised those little bits, you would have gotten to Akasha like within like 
30 minutes. We would have actually seen her first appearance of Akasha in 30 minutes. Like she should have been, that should have been the first scene of the movie. Yeah. Like we didn't need Lestat waking up. We needed Akasha waking up. So like if I were to redo the movie, and I hate, first of all, I have to say, I hate the idea that like, music woke him up and what is this and then his oh, and then his music woke his mother up who then he's having sex with in the bathtub later on you know what i mean like problematic the, the, wow i yeah. i didn't even think of it like that that's, you that's you crazy. didn't you you just you just you just uh you didn't quite catch the weird incestuous subplot of it all yeah, well like, when it comes she, to she the vampires mother. it's all it all feels incestuous to be honest, that doesn't make it any better. But I, I'd watched. It's true. These people the are kind of from the beginning right of time this. in a lot of ways. There can't have been right. that many people back then. I hear you. And also, yeah. like, look, morality, <laughs> morality of like of those days are different than now. Like the standards of a 21st century movie versus, you know, ancient Egypt is, is different. It's ancient different. Egyptian movies were wild. <laughs> I mean, those, I mean, they had some parties, I'm sure they did. There is a lot of front-loaded material for exposition, and I think that's part of the problem. It's they like described a- more of Aaliyah than we got to see. For like, yeah, a- they like talked yeah. about Aaliyah for a long time. I was like, why can't you just have the actress Aaliyah act those parts out so that we see anything having to do with this character before she walks into a bar and just starts frying people alive? I mean, it's Whoa. the same situation with Glass. Glass mm. and this movie are the same exact movie. Go on. Yeah, yeah, hit me. Because Mr. Glass doesn't show up until, like, mad far into the movie. And it's his movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Unbreakable is Bruce Willis. Uh, Split is um, McAvoy. McAvoy, McAvoy. And then, and then Glass is supposed to be Samuel L. Jackson, Mr. Glass. He's on the poster, his name, but you don't see Mr. Glass or really hear from him until like 40 something minutes into the movie. And even then, it, he doesn't really have that much of a part to play, even though it's his movie. He's top billing. It's called Queen of the Damned. She's top billing. Yeah. It's She's called Queen of the Damned. doesn't show up until, <laughs> look, look, listen, Akasha doesn't get mentioned. I, I took notes. I took notes of the movie. Akasha doesn't get mentioned until uh what it's like 30 something minutes into the movie uh, as they tell like a one minute long story about how she like drank all of egypt's blood exactly Mm -hmm. and she which sounds awesome let's see this and then she doesn't show up until 51 minutes into the movie right and she does you know she does it that's a great scene and you think it's gonna have more until the very last scene when it doesn't it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't come to fruition assumed and i think i read it in the early internet days i always assumed that the reason she wasn't in the film is that she had died during the filming that was my assumption as well that was the only way they could fuck this up was someone died 
And nope, I don't think that incorrect. that's what happened. Nope. No, in fact, she died after they just sent yeah. a no, like, movie. Reading the section of, of your book, Kathy, that talks about this, it's like there's no indication that they like needed her for reshoots, that there was anything that was like, like they were like, oh, we didn't get what we needed. They just made they made a choice. They made this. They made a choice not to use their star and to hold out and instead give us a Lestat backstory that was entirely unnecessary given that there was an entire movie prior to that. Why did they re-explain the first one? I mean, like, <laughs> well, it, it's like, it's not exactly the same thing, but like, we understand Lestat is a very old vampire. Got it. Like, you don't need to say anything else if this is meant to be a spiritual sequel. Lestat could have rolled in and been like, hey, everyone, I was born in yeah. 1101, whatever it was. I forget what it was. And we could have been done. It was just an excuse to drag out Vincent Perez, who did not need to be come back after the Crow 2 City of Angels. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I had I had a theory about why. First, I want to I want to say one thing. Um, there was supposed to be some reshooting of her vocals because her accent that she was doing was kind of heavy and uh, at times was inaudible. So her her brother came in and layered. Um, so oh. sometimes when you hear that, like under the like, yeah. there's like the, like a bass in her voice. That's her mm. brother. So they um, they ADR that oh. afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So that um that was the one thing that had to be I guess not reshot but you know just done. Um, but you know I felt like we were we were on this like at this point they were she was shooting that movie in 2000. Okay. Um, she wrapped filming i believe queen of the damned somewhere around christmas eve of 2000 because um she had she was working on her alia the red album um simultaneously in australia you know she had a right. studio that was down the street from her hotel and she was shooting and then leaving and then recording and everything so this was in 2000 right right and yeah. so i was watching it keeping in mind this time, at least I was watching it, keeping in mind what was popular during that little, that chunk of time. Right. So mm -hmm. I feel like we were still kind of riding high pun fully intended on like sexualizing, like the, the train spotting guys, like these wafy pale guys who were just like super skinny, looked a little sickly, you know, the, um, <laughs> the same thing. I mean, you mentioned Skeet Ulrich, um, you know, he was another one of those guys like Johnny Depp with less sun, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And mm. Um, even not the crow, but the, the follow-up that like the, um, that image of that guy with the dirty hair and pale skin, right? Yeah. Super skinny, but like some muscle definition. I felt like this really had nothing to do with the vampire series. Like, I feel like they made him, Stuart Townsend could have, the, the idea that he was like in a metal band and he was skinny and pale with the dirty hair. Like, I think that they they basically were just making this some weird variation of every other guy that um, was being forced down our throats for the last five years. So uh, I really think that it had nothing to do with keeping to the story hmm. as much as it did fitting what would have been the popular narrative 
for rock music at that time, metal, like yeah. that guy. You know what I mean? He he looked he like did. he, he was looked like Gavin the... Rossdale. Yeah, yeah, like like that, like that, like you know, it's, he mm-hmm. he did he very much looked hero. He looked heroin chic, right? And then yeah, you know, you add heroin whatever chic. accent. Yeah, so I feel that, like if you just I feel... replace blood mm-hmm. with heroin in this movie, it becomes a very different, but pretty much the same movie at the same time. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That this was and, just like a that's... heroin story. <laughs> Yeah, with like a metal soundtrack. I mean, totally. even even the way that he like you know the eyes rolling back um, in his head when he's like sucking on what's his face's wrist. You know what I mean? Oh, it's no, like the sure. same. Yeah, yeah it, they yeah. were they were. It was very <laughs> the much blood like, sucking scenes are incredible. They're so yeah because they're wildly stupid. I love it. But they're like pretend you're on heroin. That's what probably what it was. That's probably one hundred percent. They've been uh-huh. drinking blood for I don't know thousands upon thousands of years in infinitude of time and they still are like yay today we drink blood this is the <laughs> best thing yeah. ever what's for dinner blood Bad. Like Sick. A, if, yeah. I, if i eat hot dogs like two days in a row i'm like i want to die totally like, or like you know you watch like documentaries of animals and they like hunt and then they're like all right cool i'm gonna go take a nap these people are like yes now we can party Right. right. All and happening. Even like the using the blood as um seduction was a little weird. Like when the girl from the Mighty Ducks, what's her name in the movie, Jesse? She um <laughs> you know, <laughs> Oh my god, wait, hold on, I won't stop stop stop. I I was trying to remember Marguerite Moreau. I was trying to remember things I'd seen her in, and I was rem- and I did not make the connection. Yeah. Mighty well, Ducks. Yeah, that's crazy. Hold on. Yeah, she was in the Mighty Ducks and um <laughs> and like when she drags the, like the safety pin across her chest, like now, oh. like like the whole thing. Terrible. Or like when he pokes his finger and like you know like here like let me feed you. Like it was there was a lot of just I don't know. I first I also hated the idea that because and Gary, I, feel me on this, right? I am listening. Didn't it? Didn't it just feel like? a music journalist who was too obsessed with the band and then goes yeah yeah so i was wondering what is her job what does she do she's she's like she's like an apprentice assistant for that shadowy society of italamasca who study vampires from afar which they barely explain which I, which I mean, they just kind of assume we're supposed to like. No, I guess it's supposed to be like a Van Helsing sort of thing, but they couldn't say Van Helsing or didn't for some reason. Yes, yes, that's what I was thinking too. They're like vampiric voyeurs, and for her, she was like one of those people who wanted to be the Gonzo journalist of uh, of this, and was like trying to constantly put herself into it, especially when she started taking pictures of the club and. You know, I, I'm gonna call her him her editor, even though it's not. But her editor, yeah. was, I, I, like she's a journalist. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> she's a journalist, and this is the worst assignment of her life. Um, but in her mind, it was best. So it's like, if if I could redo this, and this is like no shade to Anne Rice, you know, or no, you should shade Anne Rice. Shade Anne Rice. Feel free. Feel free. So shade to Anne Rice. Find like make her have actual vampiric like blood like make her be drawn to it inexplicably for only for her to find out she's actually a vampire. The, like the, not make her 
not make her like the penny lane of the vampire culture. Like, that's my neck. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like that, that just like pissed me off. And then at the end when they're like walking through, like now they're the seasoned vampires and he Mm. comes and she's like, this is, this is Lestat. And it's like, it's like bringing, like she, like she brought like, you know, fucking Prince to like her editor at Rolling Stone. Like now he's my man. Like what? Like the whole, like the whole thing. Like I just looked at it like this weird version of like almost famous and I was just I like I and it may be because like music journalism is pissing me off currently so this movie pissed me off because she seems like a music journalist to me and I was just like Puh. like you know so okay I was just really annoyed. I knew everything I needed to know about this movie when that character walked into a known vampire hangout party Right. And was wearing red rouge to look bloodier <laughs> and then acted completely shocked when attacked by vampires. Real talk. I'm like, you, you didn't, you didn't expect this. I'm, I'm, re- I'm reading on the Talamasca right now. They're basically journalists. They're basically a paranormal journalist. Yes. But they are secret society watching paranormal. So she's pretty much a journalist. So she knows about these creatures but she didn't expect them to like gang up on her in this bar, a vampire. And it was bar. like so dramatic. Like, oh, 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 not the vampires. Like, well, what were you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you right. there if you don't want to get attacked by vampires? Right. Well, uh, and then Lestat acting like he didn't like her at first, like you're oh, not yeah. my like type. And um, then the whole Pinocchio storyline for Lestat. Like, I, I just want to be that. I want to be a real boy again. Like, get out <laughs> of my face. Like, and then I forgot that he broke the neck of the violinist. So, oh, I will say, I, I never, I, I forgot this whole thing, this whole part. That violin solo that she does by the bonfire before Lestat breaks her neck, that's a banger. Yeah. That's his awesome. little, his like devil came down to Georgia fast playing business was like less impressive than what she was actually doing. Exactly. Oh, the best musical he, moment he, throughout he this whole movie. It. Yes. Like, if that had a beat, I'd buy that. Like, I, I, I'd not even stream it. I would actually pay to download that. And then here he comes with that. Oh God! And like, and I'm just getting like mad all over again because I, I like today. I was, <laughs> I was just watching. I don't know how mad like, everybody is on this episode. You see how you upset us, Gary? Yeah, I do. You did this. I, look, I, I accept I made a bad decision. But look, I think what we're what we're what we're pointing out here is is we're pointing out the just how how bias plays into these things because Hollywood yeah. or whatever the fuck decided they had one of the biggest stars of the time <laughs> and said, let's center this white guy and this white girl and their relationship. That's the story, and then Aaliyah's character Queen of the Damned, and call it Queen of the Damned, and And name it after that character. Put Aaliyah on the front of the movie, give her top billing, and about five minutes of screen time. It's like this isn't fucking Alien. This is a character. You enter. You want to introduce? Did y'all see the trailer? Did y'all watch the trailer? Oh yeah, absolutely. I watched the trailer Mm -hmm. for it at like five o'clock this morning. And the trailer is a whole... It took me three days to watch this movie. And all at two o'clock. <laughs> and I, the first time I watched it, I was watching it. I go to sleep at like 5 a.m. I started watching it at 2 a.m. Mm. I was like, 
I'd rather go to bed. I paused the movie and went to bed just so I could. I not also watch the movie didn't for make a it while. through the first time. I got about like thirty-five he, minutes in and was like, "This is, I'm so mad, and I'm I just have to go to bed." I the trailer is so centric on the Queen of the Dam story. Yeah. They're like Mastodons with a costume. It's like out, five minutes in the film. All her scenes are in the trailer, pretty much. Besides, like the death stuff, but like pretty much every time she shows up is in the trailer, and it like makes it seem like she's going to be this huge part. She's barely the motivator. Both. Yeah. Think, think about this movie, both uh, Stuart Townsend and Marguerite Moreau, after this film came out, they both did like 95% one-off TV work, maybe a recurring character for a couple of episodes, mm -hmm. until very much lately they have started to get things. For Marguerite uh, Moreau, she did like almost entirely TV until... Uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Oh yeah, right. Resurrected her. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. she was in that as well. Which, like, yeah. you, she did like ten years in television, right? Recovering from this piece of shit. Lena Olin <laughs> was like on fire. She had done Chocolat, Ninth Gate, yeah, uh, Polish Wedding, oh, Night Falls yeah. on Manhattan, real movies, and then is in like Bang Bang Orangutan right after this oh, god like and everyone that, looked at this piece of, and and vincent perez you know, went back we to lost, Vince, vincent yeah. perez went back to switzerland and and we know what happened to alia so yeah, this is bad this movie destroyed an entire generation of humans oh she was in beverly like, hills chihuahua that's something else. <laughs> beverly hills chihuahua okay that's something brushing it <laughs> Crushing it alongside what George Lopez. She was George winning. Lopez. She was winning things. BAFTA Award for Best Actors in a Supporting Role. European Film Award for Best Actors. Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance. All for Chocolat. The next thing she won was Best Actress at the Prague Independent Film Festival. And it wasn't for this movie. Fifteen years later. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, she like, had a she had to earn it back. I mean, there's a curse. This movie was cursed. You do not invoke well, the queen of the damned without consequences, people. That's the lesson we learned here. Do not invoke the queen of the damned. Not for anything. Alia was already shot scenes to be Z in the Matrix. Right. I didn't like, know that until you said that. That's that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's actual scenes of her in the movie like that are out, like floating around the internet. So my thing is, you knew that this person was starring in like the sequel of a blockbuster film, right? Yep. So you're still going to put her in 50 minutes into the film? Like what's mm. wrong with you? Like the hubris. It's racism. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I oh, mean, 100%. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. It's there 100%. was there had oh, to yeah, be concern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There had to be concern on the part of these executives that it wouldn't sell in certain markets if you had a black lead. And I think that trailer, Magnet, that you were just talking about, was cut after her death. And so yeah. they were like, now we have something that we can sell, which oh, is sick. Wow, that's which is such sick. a good point. But that is how I'm thinking about it. Why oh, else would you have the, why else would you have this movie that spends 50 minutes about Stuart Townsend and uh, that's that's him and mm -hmm. Marguerite Moreau and their little cat and mouse game 
of nonsense and like narrative, like voiceover narration on top of voiceover narration, and then finally get to Aaliyah, you wouldn't make the trailer like that if that was the case. If she had lived, and and if she had lived, and this movie had had been a trailer been cut for this. I mean, she would have been in it, but they would absolutely have focused on the love story between Lestat and Jesse. That would have been a bigger that part of the trailer. so true. Mm-hmm. The cover, the cover would have been different as well. I think they would have put her, she, I think Aaliyah would have been in the background of that cover. Yeah. Not the foreground. It would have been the wow. Lestat show. Because I never, they sh- I never thought of that. Because however they shot and edited, edited this film into the cut that they got, it's the Lestat show. It's actually the book. It is, they should have called it the vampire Lestat because that's what they really were making. Right. Well, to be fair, you know, they took a real shot on this dude and he was an uncredited member of an Eon Flux movie. I didn't even know existed. So, (laughs) you know, you gotta, you gotta get behind people like that. This guy, I mean, we're talking about a dude that was on several episodes of robot chicken. Several. Well, that's (laughs) later. But it's like it, it's. But they just they took they took a shot and it obviously paid off. Is all I'm saying. It's mm. it's just really <laughs> staggering because he's done so many bad movies since. It's just like they thought, okay, we've got this guy. He's like 28, 29, and they want to make sure they can sell this in all these markets. And they're still afraid of having a black female lead in a film. But I think it starts with the fact that you probably have two screenwriters who are not black, and you have a director who is not black, you know, Michael Reimer being the director on this, who basically went on right after this to great success uh, behind uh, the Battlestar Galactica franchise. Uh, that's what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with people who understand this. So that even though you're working with something that like, you don't even have to think about cultural context with this movie. It's about fucking vampires. It's tropes all day, all day fucking yeah, right. tropes. You don't need to be like, okay, how do we really think about Egypt is an afterthought in the way that they talk about this. That's it. They don't have to think about cultural context. All they have to think about is, hey, we have this star in here and maybe some more black people might come and watch this movie. And that, I think, was how they framed this. They didn't know how well what they had on their hands. The Matrix people did because they had Aaliyah lined up for two movies. There was going to be the Matrix in the second movie and in the third. And if you've seen the Matrix films and you know the character that she was supposed to play, that character has a prominent role by the third movie. And assuredly, assuredly, if she were alive today, the movie that they're going to put out this year would almost certainly feature her. Right. Yeah. So of course, that's what we're dealing. That's really what we're dealing with here. I mean, it's a terrible movie. I think we all agree. And again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made you watch this. <laughs> can I read the first? Uh, can I read the first sentence of Roger Ebert's review of this of this movie? Yeah, sure. I think it Go crushes. ahead. Go ahead. Vampires are always in pose mode, which tends to make vampire movies into comedies. And that is, if I had read that review, that just that line, I would have come into this with a totally different attitude. I'd been like, oh, well, fuck this movie. <laughs> this is going to well, be well, hilarious. I'm just going to rip like 36 bong hits and see where the night leads me. Like, yeah, I mean, because that's all they do is blue steel. All of it. The whole time they just pose and like then speak. It is like a, I, I imagine this set to have been a lot like the set of like, Young and the Restless. Mm. 
You know what I mean? Like they were doing full soap opera posing and talking. The only thing that was missing was like the weird lighting that makes everybody shine on those shows. Yeah, but the thing, like I, 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 I watch a lot of horror. I listen mm-hmm. to horror stories. I think mm-hmm. vampire fiction might be like one of my least favorite mm-hmm. just because like it's vampire. whatever. I had never seen Interview with a Vampire before this movie. I watched that and then I watched this straight after. It, that, it, like, that's a, not a bad movie. Interview with the Vampire is not a bad movie. It's not. And it doesn't feel like, <clears throat> like the vampires you describe, how, you know, they pose and talk. Like, it's, it's whatever. And this Lestat is, feels much different than Tom Cruise Lestat, man. Like, and I don't know anything about the books, but is, is that what the continuity is like? Because it's only, what eight years eight years in between but this list that is asleep for uh, a century plus but that from the first movie pretty much learned how to drive a car by sucking a dude's neck for five seconds do you think Stuart Townsend watched interview with the vampire before he entered this project you did more research into this than maybe Stuart Townsend did is what I'm trying to get at (laughs) you might have actually been like a better candidate to play Lestat. I could have played Lestat. I think Magnetic you could have crushed it. I think almost any of our guests that we've ever had <laughs> would crush it compared to this fucking <laughs> But I think you touched on something there about just kind of like you were comparing it to Interview with the Vampire. Is there such a thing as a good vampire movie? Because I think we're looking at Interview with the Vampire Blade. comparatively and saying, oh my God, well, is Blade, is Blade a good movie? I, I want to stop for a second. So I'm, I'm going to pause it for a second. It's entertaining. And I like the Blade trilogy. But is it act, are they actually good movies? We don't accept Blade slander in this house. I see. That's what I'm bringing up. <laughs> because <laughs> like, just aside from that, you have Dracula dead and loving it. Excellent no, film. No, Vampire Brad, in Brooklyn. Excellent film. Terrible movie. <laughs> those are terrible movies. But like that's those are comedies. How dare that are meant- Leslie Nielsen is rolling over in his like, grave. Yes, he sh- as well he should because that movie's awful. But I think about like Bram Stoker's Dracula, for example, mm-hmm. is Nosferatu. like if you, and like if you're gonna talk about if you're gonna talk about like Aaliyah's accent in this movie, and like say like why is sometimes it's like Transylvanian Romania stuff, and why is it American in other places? You can set aside of that when you go like think of the horrible accent work done by Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And that movie is considered by people who like vampire movies some kind of classic. And no. it is it's a hot classic. garbage film. It is horrible. Oh man. I, I'm saying, like, if you're gonna tell me the best of the vampire movies is Blade, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that like vampire movies as a genre is not a great genre of film. I think that people it, would likely not. because you're old as fuck, and so am I. Uh, I think people would probably say Twilight. Is no, that, those can't be good movies. Nobody thought that they're not. You gotta, yeah, I, you, you have to be a child, like a, a little girl or a crack smoker to uh, like enjoy Twilight. I've never seen a Twilight film. Yeah, I've but, never seen them. Wait, uh, have you, who, who here has seen them? I guess no one. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen, it's, I've seen bits and well, not okay. seen, but it's been on. It's been and on. I've watched uh, many synopsis, so I feel like I've pretty much seen Twilight. I know enough. You're the Twilight expert of this group. It's you officially. All I are. know is from memes. So they did. They did what? Four Twilight movies. Yeah. Yeah. Is it four. Because they broke the second. They broke the third book into two parts. I think. Of right. Course they did. Yeah. Okay. So like, would you rather watch 
all four of the Twilight movies or would you watch the first four Leprechaun movies? I'd rather watch the first four Leprechaun movies. That that's not even that's not even an option. Yeah, I thought I'd you were going to say those are Queen of the Damned, and I was going to be like, "Oh, that's a tough choice." <laughs> no, I think I think four. I four Twilight. If it was three, I would pick Twilight. Four Twilight, Queen, four Twilight movies or Queen of the Damned. I, if, if that's the if that's the thing, uh, I think I'm about to be watching some Twilight movies. I might have to. Honestly, I'm thinking about it. I can't imagine a world where I sit down and watch Queen of the Damned again in any way, jest or otherwise. I don't want to show it to friends to show them how bad it is. I don't want this film to be seen again. Or Twilight movies or Queen of the Damned. And you know those Twilight movies were 90 minutes either. They were all long, right? I just assume that they were like long. Yo, they must have all been like over two hours a piece, especially when you got to the end. You weren't Watch season get... four of this podcast be Welcome to Garlic, the only hip-hop podcast where we talk about <laughs> Twilight movies. We're going to make you watch all four Twilight movies before you get on the episode. Uh, well, I got news. We'll have you guys on back uh, next week, and we're going to talk about the four <laughs> Twilight movies. <laughs> Your week is now totally booked. It's booked we've... solid. All right. With two-hour-long teen dramas. <laughs> about I hope you're ready. Hope you're ready to see some real, uh, real storytelling. Very excited. I'm so excited to introduce our guests again this week. Yeah. Uh, can I make a confession as we, uh, as we close out of this? And again, I do apologize uh, for uh, having made you guys watch it. Um, but uh, I did not finish watching this movie. Oh God. <laughs> Yo, okay, straight up, Gary, you have to. And what you did to us, you have to finish the film. You Yo, have to Gary, watch wait, if you, you don't finish watching finish? this movie, you I'm boycotting to. the podcast, bro. I'm boycotting the podcast. I watched this it. film in 2002. How much did you miss? I, I, I missed the last, like, 25 minutes. I couldn't That's, do it. okay. I couldn't do okay, it. Okay, listen. I, I totally get How it. many I'm times gonna, did you watch Yobie Halloween? How many times did you watch Yobie Halloween? Oh, I had like, to watch I, it two and a half times. I mean, I watch it, like, a half dozen times. Easy. You're, you're... You're out of the pocket, bro. You didn't finish this movie? No. And put you watch Hubie Halloween that many times? Oh, yeah, Hubie Halloween. You're welcome to be a guest every week, okay? Every single week you can come back because finally someone agrees with me. I've listened to almost all of these episodes. And, bro, the things you subject people to, (laughs) and you didn't finish this movie? This no, one, okay, listen, I couldn't, listen, I couldn't finish listen, this movie. Can I talk a little bit about the ending? Because we never really talked about it. Sure. Just I, kept lambasting them for not putting Aaliyah in the movie. Which, I'd love to hear about this ending. Okay, Gary. The ending is, uh, you'll be shocked to know that our friend, what was her name? Marguerite Moreau. Moreau what's her name in the movie? I don't remember. Jesse. 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 Jesse becomes a vampire. Shocker alert. And... They like come back to the office of the guy that led the shadowy organization that she was had an apprenticeship for. David, yeah, the Telemasco, yeah, aka uh, you know, an office where people write things. They went back to this this dude's office, and uh, they were like, "Do you want to be a vampire?" And he was like, "No, basically." And then they leave, and then some guy, some vampire attacks him anyway. It was the um, it's Marius. For no reason. I vaguely remembered that from the first time. A character no one cared about in the film that was in like three scenes 
And then they like give a Jonathan Davis send off to these two that are dressed up like modern goth. Well, no, no, no. Okay, so no. Remember, that's the way I saw it. No, the editor was obsessed with that particular vampire. Right. That's why it was like full circle that he's the one who made him a vampire. It's and then, like, they have like that interaction him. at the Lestat show in um in Death yeah, Valley. And then he comes for, back, like, two and, yeah, and then he comes back and and vampires him. There's that doesn't make it any has, better. That doesn't make it any well, better, but it makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't. Well, no, because he didn't want to. No, because remember when the girl. So okay, this and I, I mean I'm making this way deeper than it actually is, but I'm just you know just to just to offer this like hot take. Uh-huh. Both of them actually wanted to be vampires. Uh-huh. But remember when those people, those other vampires come to her and, and basically want to make her a vampire, she's waiting for Lestat to turn her. And I feel like that dude was waiting for, what's his face, to turn him. That's what I think was though. I uh. think that at the heart of it, they actually were wanted to be vampires. Who fucking cares? <laughs> Why is that I the mean... twist at the end of the movie? Now I'm not yelling at you. I apologize. I don't it's ba- barely you like, can you can't call it a twist. That's like a curl. Anyone who's ever seen this movie, if you can tell me if you were like, oh good, good, they made him a vampire. Like, was anyone on board with like, yes? Oh man, well, what that's a the sick thing, twist. <clears throat> That, but that's like, I mean, that's just the whole problem with any organization or institution that focuses in on something that is like not even tangentially related to. It's the idea that they actually just want to be part of it. You know what I mean? So that's what was like enraging me is that it it reminded me of just music journalism where they really just wanted to be in the band. I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, like that's why I was like getting like super annoyed because they were just like, you know, it was literally they were literally vampire groupies in the hopes of showing up on the, in the album. Yeah, the talent masker just a bunch of star fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> I also and like how the movie getting... had a thirty-five million dollar budget and they used like twenty million dollars on Aaliyah's death scene, probably. Like that was the most elaborate death scene when she just turned to sand, but it looks so expensive. And it was so, mm. it was so dissatisfying. Mm. You got to spend money to make like, money. Yeah. Okay. Podcast Network.